Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar. Rich, here we go. It's still just plugging along the offseason, draft uh, creeping closer and closer. How are we doing today? We're doing good. Uh, you know, it seems like we've kind of hit that pause, right? Like free agency is kind of like really withered down. There's a couple guys floating around, but maybe nothing happens really until after the draft at this point. And that's kind of where we are. We're kind of just sitting on our hands, I think, really kind of getting into draft mode. And you and I have been writing up all the team needs pieces for all these teams and kind of getting into draft mode ourselves. And uh, that's kind of just feels like where we're steering the ship right now. Yeah, it's wild because we like we've been doing all this team need stuff and it kind of feels like there should be more free agency things happening just because of some of these step charts that like we've been looking at. Like there's teams that have like three guys at a position. Like I think we were right now, even just like the Browns who like have a decent like defense and I've been writing up the defense, you've been writing up the offense. The Browns have like three interior defensive linemen like on the roster right now. Like mm-hmm. it's not going to be a problem, but obviously just like players need to be there. So I'm just it feels like there are going to be some of those smaller moves that at least coming in probably now from the draft, like you said, probably a little a little after the draft is where we'll get more stuff coming in. But I think like even at Ed Rusher, they have like three guys. And like when one of those guys is you know, Miles Garrett, you don't really have to worry about it because like the position's gonna be fine. Uh, but like there just needs to be some players who who are coming in on like a lot of these teams. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple teams like that so far where you know we had the Bears who just really have Cole Komet and they have Jesper Horstead. They they just resigned on a one-year deal who was an Urfa. Uh we're submitting the Buccaneers who are obviously waiting on Rob Gronkowski, but really the the camera brace, their only tight end right now on the roster. Uh, a lot of those types of things still are floating out there. You'll get that, you the you know, the end of the the undrafted rookies too. You have a you have a slew of signings right after the draft as well. But it really seems like teams are kind of in that mode of like really kinding to see like what they come out of the draft with at this point yeah it, it'll be interesting because especially like for some of these like top guys saying we've seen like Tyron Matthew we've talked about him for the past like two weeks um about like whether he's going to sign I think he was just in uh, New Orleans which like uh, we'll, we'll get to the Saints in uh a bit here and of course but the it, Rams are interested because they're interested in every player that yeah but it, it also <laughs> seems like for for guys like that if you wait till after the draft that's now like an official cutoff date for uh the compensatory pick formula Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's been moved up. It used to be like, we're not totally sure when the comp pick, uh, formula like stops when there's a deadline there, uh, teams just kind of did their best guess of when that would happen. Like at some point in the off season now, I believe it is like a firm after the draft. So I wonder if we're waiting for like some of those bigger guys there, like a, like a Matthew, if teams are going to, because he'll probably get, you know, a, a decent size contract. Um, and we'll see that, um, happen after the draft just so teams can can lock in some of these picks that they do expect to have and i think we'll see you know some smarter teams do that although if it's the saints like they they, they don't care about picks and so let's let's get into that because uh since the last time we talked uh, the saints and the eagles made a draft pick trade and we're talking draft now so we'll try to I'll break this down uh, much more easily than the original uh adam Schefter tweet that went out so the eagles Okay, let's, let's, let's good start already. Yeah, because okay, so the Saints picked up the 16th, the 19th pick, and 194th pick for the 18th pick, 107th pick, 237th pick, a two a 2023 first, and a 2024 second. 
So I guess in some ways, the Eagles had three first-round picks, right? They wanted to – it never made sense that they were going to make – three first round picks like they could use it but obviously like that that's a lot of money to also like give up in one year and actually if you look like down the line having five Mm -hmm. or three fifth year options at the same time is actually like a lot to put on your cap like for roster management and obviously that's like super far down the road but i think the eagles are a smart team that's that's going to be doing that for the saints again this is like a a theme of the show that we've gone for the past like a couple weeks here like I don't really know what the saints are doing, right? You would think if you're giving up that type of future draft capital, like it's for a quarterback, but you're only moving up to 16. um, And like, you do have 19. So maybe, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, this is like a a move that like precludes a move that is going to be another trade up. But like, if you're doing that and like, wouldn't you just rather have that 2023 first as like something to entice one of those teams? Right to to move up like this feels like an unnecessary thing to have to do um so if it's the one thing like if it's for a quarterback it doesn't make a lot of sense for the saints because they it's so much draft capital uh they have uh Jameis winston now they've they've signed andy dalton i don't think they're a quarterback away if it's not for a quarterback this this feels even worse yeah I actually do think that's where we are too I really just think the Saints genuinely aren't like they have no interest in punting we've talked about this for the last couple weeks right like they are a team I believe that they have and they believe they have enough talent they're in a division that they believe they can compete in even if they don't beat the Bucs although they've beaten them four times in a row in the regular season the past two years anyways uh, I genuinely believe that they still believe that they have enough there to kind of compete and they're trying to just get more talent on the roster immediately Um, so that's kind of where I believe the direction they're going, because if you add up the quarterback pieces, like you said, it just kind of doesn't make sense because one, you just signed Andy Dalton the week prior, who is before that perceived deadline, right? He's probably going to cost you a compensatory pick now that you were going to get for Taron Armstead. Uh, so you kind of, you sign him, you sign Jameis Winston right after you miss out on Deshaun Watson. Um, now none of those guys, none of those salaries that those two players got kind of preclude you from taking another quarterback. If you want to take one of the rookies at 16, uh, uh, or, or what are they at 16 and 18 now? I forget what they are right 16, now. 16, 19, uh, yeah. 16, 19, sorry, yeah. Um, you can still take one of those guys there, but I don't think it's a, necessarily a trade-up spot because like you said, you would use that one to get higher um, instead of just kind of like shuffle around a bunch of picks. But I mean, who really knows what's going on? I think this is a clear Eagles win trade in terms of like – in terms of like war value, uh, what you're getting in return, you know, they're, they're moving back and, and having the option to kind of give Jalen Hurts another year, see if they've got more ammunition the following year. You added the, the having the third, fifth year option on your books. Um, and, it, and you pick up another second round pick uh, in the process uh, next year, another future. Um, I still think the NFL is, it undervalues future picks tremendously. Oh, I think absolutely. We saw, so yeah, this yeah. is, this is going to be a rant. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Like uh, you, uh, a lot of teams like just historically discount those future picks. And like Mm -hmm. when you're proving in present value, like if you use like the Jimmy Johnson chart or or whatever, like you discount it like a a full round at at some points, like that doesn't make any sense because like that, that first rounder is never going to be a second round pick. So like, why are you counting it as a second round pick right now? Right. Like it at worst case, it's going to be a first round pick. That first round, that future first is never going to turn into a second. So I think we, we see teams like the Eagles um, and teams like that who are valuing those as first round picks like they should be. Um, and like there's 
there's the potential here. Like I tweeted this out like as soon as it happened. There's the potential the Saints aren't good this year. Like that's certainly mm-hmm. possible. Like I I understand in the Saints point of view, like what they went through last year. Everybody was injured. Uh, the team was bad in by Saints standards. And they still almost made the playoffs, right? So they expect everybody to be healthier this year. They expect to be a little better. Um, so, like, I, I can see why they think they're going to be good. But, like, there is a certainly high, but I, I would say, like, a decent probability that the Saints are not good, right? So um, We're not good enough, period. Right. So, like, <laughs> there, there's a chance for, like, for the, for the Eagles, it, it's a clear win because I, I think, like, you think this is maybe like a, you know, a pick in the in the middle of the first round. Like if you're thinking about it from the Eagles' perspective, if the Saints are like pretty good, then like maybe that turns into the twenties. So like you, you're not losing that much. But if the Saints are terrible and that turns into like a top ten pick, like that's a clear win for the Eagles. So I just think like there's so much more for the Eagles to get out of this than there is for the Saints trying to get like these two first round picks and doing whatever they're going to be trying to do. Um, you know, outside of that, and like we've talked about, like the, the Saints cap for for a while. Like, obviously, like it, getting under the cap is not it's not an achievement; it's a rule, right? Like you you have to do it by rule. So, like it, the it saying that they're you know they're under the cap and they're working all these contracts, like yeah, that's what they have to do. Uh, and again, like if and if there is like a bad a finally like a bad season for new orleans like then they really are that's when they get into some trouble there and i think that they're really teetering the line with with this trade and what they think they are right now yeah i i kind of see it like that's the plan this is just how mickey loomis has operated until he tells me like until he actually shows me uh, otherwise i'm gonna always believe that he's always that you know the, the george blue there's always money in the banana stand right that's how he that's how he runs this team that's how they've run this team for you know the last the last decade plus so i'm I, that's how i see it is they're kind of trying to get like a jump start on like the kind of like roster depth and like positions now to compete uh, they've got holes everywhere though. They're a team that we're actually like a process of, of doing, you know, today they're one of the teams on Thursday that will be coming out and there's, there's needs all over the board here, uh, for them. So I believe it's, yeah, I try to get multiple pieces now, but I think it's going to end up costing them in the long run. Um, but that's, that's how the saints, that's how they roll, man. The other thing, like say these two <laughs> picks are like for like a tackle and a wide receiver, which are two right. positions they need at this point at 16 and 19, you're might be getting like tackle four and maybe wide receiver three or four at that maybe, point too. Maybe so like wide it, receiver five or six. At yeah, point. it's yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's a crazy move to be making uh, this early. Um, it's a move where like if it happened on draft day, like it's still bad, but at least like you understand who's on the board at that point and like who you're trading up for. Uh, but but right now it's 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 weird, man. Uh, also, the Andy Dalton signing, like this, this is an egregious signing. Like on so many levels, we talked about the compensatory pick. Like he might cost you a compensatory pick for a backup quarterback. That like is like, what do you get out of having Andy Dalton on your roster before the draft? Like, what did the Saints gain? Like, where was the where was the market that they had to jump to put him on this roster before the draft? Man, I'd, 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 I'd just, I just I can't tell you. Um, <laughs> at least it like stops us from the Taysom Hill quarterback thing. I don't, I don't know. Like, is that, is that maybe, I mean, listen, it has to still exist in some, you know, the darkest timeline that still exists. <sighs> I don't know. All right. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's move on. So um, like he's not going to be on the roster. That's I, I was looking at the Taysom Hill contract and it is insane. Um, still, um, 
I, think I mean, you're talked, telling me if I, think I give we talked you about it last the, week. If, if I set the over under on 0.5 pass attempts for Taysom Hill, you're still going to take the under next year. He's he'll throw a pass, but like <laughs> we won't have him starting a game at right. quarterback, <laughs> which I think helps us all. All right, but, uh, let's move on to uh, to better things that we're going to talk about. We're, we'll talk about some uh, draft wide receivers and like some of them. At least one is probably going to end up on the Saints at this point, but uh, let's let's dive into this because this mm-hmm. is this is a fun class. Um, it is it does I don't think it has like the highs that we saw from like maybe even like the past two years, right? Like there's no Jamar Chase um, in this class. I'm not even sure. There's like a, a Jalen Waddle who you know I liked a lot uh, coming into uh, the draft last year, um, but there's a lot of a lot of really good players and like we've talked about it it's there's always it feels like there's just always going to be good wide receivers like we're not going to have we're never going to have like this year's quarterback class of wide yeah we've talked about that yeah (laughs) it's just it's not gonna happen anymore um the high end you can you know debate on whether we get like these great wide receivers um but I think there's there's so many players and I think one of the reasons this is such a fun wide receiver class because there's so many different types of receivers uh in this class and kind of like how you view the position what you value is kind of how you feel about these guys um and that's uh one of the reasons i'm kind of excited to talk about it yeah i think too even before we start getting into kind of like the meat and potatoes of the players a little bit just how the we can maybe talk just a little bit uh in touch on just how this offseason may impact how teams aggressively play yeah. the wide receiver position too as well i mean we have seen the wide receiver market go bananas and not even the top three guys that basically like reset the market again after the ta- trailing that DeAndre Hopkins money that you talked about a couple weeks ago. Cause those are like the three of the top four best wide receivers currently in the NFL anyways. Uh, so like they, those guys were always going to kind of like set the tone for the market. But when you have the Christian Kirks, like we said, getting paid more than JC Jackson on the open market and teams start to realize like having these, these r- rookie wide receivers on rookie contracts, because you need three, four guys now on your roster. You need to go deeper than that, especially when you have injuries, even like a team like the Buccaneers who were dead set at wide receiver last year, right? How did they finish the season? Strictly just having Mike Evans and then needing other guys to step up and they couldn't get it out of any of those players. Like you kind of almost never have enough wide receivers. And then when you're talking about like the contractual depth element, uh, teams, I think, are going to really start exploring just consistently adding these guys because having these guys on rookie salaries is turns out to be uh, is going to turn out to be such an advantage. So you don't have to overpay for some of these guys like the Kenny Galladay's and the Christian Kirks and free agency. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like if you have that top wide receiver, you you are going to have to pay him one way or another, right? You're either mm-hmm. not not committing to it, uh, like and we saw that with Tyreek Hill and and Devontae Adams, or like you are committing to it, which we just saw with uh, Stefan Diggs. Um, he still had what two years left on, on his contract. Um, and it was like, it was a below market level contract. Like the minute he was traded. So like that was going to come up at some point, but also like after oh, we saw the, the contracts from, from Adams and, and Hill, like obviously the Buffalo was going to have to, um, you know, make that right a, a little bit. And th- this is one of the things, like it's also one of those things and like get into like a little bit in the weeds of some of these contracts. And like, we kind of did it with like the Devontae Adams thing where like these guys aren't making really making like 28 30 million dollars a year but that number is out there mm-hmm. right and so if these contracts are being structured in a way where like this new money does have to come in and a lot of these contracts like at least have to be figured and and 
structured in a way where like they at least at some point you can say the agent can say the player can say that these contracts are are 28 to 30 million dollars a year and and even just structuring those where that number is fake i think kind of hurts can hurt some teams at some point but if you have the receivers if you have you know gotten uh your cap to to a place where you can do that um and i think like that's this is also like one of the things we can kind of come back to the saints here um like for the draft capital they gave up like they could have like had a Devonte adams or tyree kill like that that's the same type of like draft pick compensation that these teams are, are bringing in but like when you're the saints you don't have uh that potential to uh it's it put the, that contract on your book so that's a part where like even though the saints are under the cap and you can like say they can like manage the cap but i think like that's how some people would would frame that like you can't bring in those those really big contracts um and like the saints would be better off like if they could have been in the tyree kill um you know conversation but like they they can't put that contract on the books but you're giving up the same type of draft capital so i think like that's a lot of where like this comes in too um so i think if you're a team you have to i think be be willing to pay a receiver at, at some point right i don't think um you know you're either paying a guy that's on your roster or you have to like be able to look out and see what you can get right there's like dk metcalf trade rumors um so like if you even if you don't have a DK Metcalf on your team, you're looking to see if you can requ- acquire a DK Metcalf if his team is not willing to pay him. And I think like we we talked about it also last week. Like it, we might be seeing some of that a, a little more as these wide receivers, you know, kind of are potentially like a- on the market now, uh, just because that that top end just like exploded out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean we've got some fringe guys coming up. Like Deontay Johnson's a great example. Who I think is a really good player, but is he a player you want to give twenty million dollars, you know, to? Like, you know, teams are going to have to make those decisions uh, on those types of guys. Even DK Metcalf isn't like fully like hit like his apex either. Um, you know, AJ Brown's getting a new contract. Terry McLaurin's going to get a new contract. That whole twenty nineteen class uh, is up. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, then you've got a team like the Bengals who are sitting on two young wide receivers, right, on rookie contracts, T. Higgins yeah. and Jamar Chase, and you'll have to pay Joe Burrow. Uh, the, the the penalty for drafting well, right, like for doing just yeah. doing the job well. like And, and they, don't have to, they don't have to deal with this for a couple seasons still until it gets to that point. But those are things that are going to be on their plate uh, in terms of they might have to choose. They might have, like like T. Higgins actually might be like a roster casualty at that point just because of what they're going to have to allocate to Burrow and Chase. Uh, so we'll, those are things we'll see what happens down the line. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're coming into this NFL draft, though, I mean, I still think that you're you're going to see a lot of teams be aggressive on wide receivers, not only because the team needs, but also just the way it's kind of shifted the marketplace at the position. Yeah. And one of the other things, like with so many good wide receivers coming, we're seeing these guys make an impact, right? It used to be like it took for like a year two maybe for like some of these wide receivers and like only the best guys were making um you know a a big impact in year one after they were drafted and i think we're we're just seeing guys can be just put in roles and i think there are more defined roles and i think teams are are better just kind of evaluating where these players fit and how they should use them um and i think we're we're seeing some things you know just schemed up better i'm um, just we're seeing immediate impacts from rookies and that kind of just shifts the the entire landscape of that too and i think like there's there's a lot of guys here like as we like intro this there's a lot of different ways you can use a lot of these guys that are, that are going to be coming into the league this year. And it's just kind of like, how do you see them fitting in your offense? Do you, 
do they fit in your offense? And I think you can find a guy for like pretty much anything you would want to do. There is a guy for that in this class. Oh yeah, man. And we, we've seen that over the last couple of years, you know, uh, you talk about like, yeah, like CD lamb comes into the league and he's like basically thought of a second alpha and he basically strictly plays almost slot receiver for the Cowboys the past years. And, you know, people thought it was like a luxury pick and like, look at where the Cowboys are now uh, in yeah. terms of like wide receivers. You, so you, you like Jalen Waddle last year, he like, you know, the, 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 the circumstances that the Miami offense fell into last year kind of dictated that Jalen Waddle be like this near the line of scrimmage player, but we know he can be so much more. Uh, so there is kind of like an opportunity here. And there's some personal guys in this class uh, that I think that I think we'll see probably I think we'll see at minimum, I think, six guys go in the first round. And I think there's a shot for maybe even maybe touching eight the wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's run through them. Um, you have written up um, this wide receiver class. I will be doing that maybe for today, maybe, maybe on Friday. Oh, hopefully uh, I'll have something up um, here. So. And to be fair, I write these guys up from like a a stance, you know, my wide receiver model is geared towards like fantasy points. There is overlap to actually, if you are productive for fantasy, you are producing in real NFL field, but all of my stuff is basically tied to to, to hone in on like what is predictive to producing fantasy points. Uh, So that's kind of like where I come from, like my approach here. Yeah, so uh, let's we'll we'll use that as as the framework, and and then we'll just kind of you know talk about these guys. So as you go into your model, because I think like if you like you said, if you can predict fantasy points, usually uh, for the most part, you are you know doing good things on the field. Uh, so let's let's get into who you have um, as uh, the the number one, and these can uh, be found. Uh, on the site, the 2022 pre-draft fantasy rookie rankings. Um, we got Trillin Burks. Um, and he is just like, he's such an interesting guy. And I think like we see the the Debo Samuel comps, right? And I think like you saw some of how like he was used, but also like he, he, like, he played wide receiver. And I, I think we kind of like when you kind of use the Debo Samuel, I think people are like trying to like pit him as this guy, like you need to, um, you know, scheme him up, like either, you know, behind the line of scrimmage or like Percy like, Harvin or right around. Yeah. <laughs> and like, Chilipris is good, man. Like he can make plays down the field. Like there's, there's a lot of things going on. And I think just like, and, and Debo can do that too. Right. But like when you're like saying the Debo role, it, it kind of feels like people mm-hmm. are, are kind of discounting what Traylon Burks can potentially do. Yeah. So, so my model actually is Drake London one who we'll get into, but I believe just, I have Burks one, one myself because I think his ceiling is the highest. And I think about this from like uh, an NFL drafting stance, if I was an NFL team or even, uh, you know, from even tying it into fantasy, like I think like what, what the, can this player be at his apex and how can that alter what my team is? And that's, I just think Traylon Burks has the, like the highest ceiling. Like he has the ability to be like a Terrell Owens type player on like his apex range of outcomes. He could be like an AJ Brown type of player uh, as well. Um, He was a guy that, you know, at Arkansas, like he was really their, their offense. I mean, they had to scheme him up. He played a lot in the slot. They gave him a a, like funneled a ton of of screen passes, but there is an underlying uh, number of metrics here that show like where he can win in the NFL and win in a big way in terms of the outside. So like 
like I said, they, they used to run him in like stacks and trips like all the time. Give him just quick hitters. Let him use his like size. He's huge. He's 225 pounds. He's a monster. Um, although he did only run like a four or five, five uh, at the combine, his tracking speed, uh, we've already seen a number of people say like he's hit 22 miles an hour in this play, all those things. And, and we're going to see more teams kind of use that tracking speed anyways, that Brad Holmes has talked about this for a number of years. But so when they the, the limited sample where we've seen Traylon Burks like play as an isolated receiver or play in man coverage or play on the outside, he's absolutely destroyed. Uh, last year, he averaged six, six and a half yards per route run against man coverage, uh, you know, against press coverage. Uh, when he was isolated as an isolated receiver, uh, he averaged 12 yards per route run as an isolated receiver. Like he can win outside. He's got that frame. If you want to add like the, you know, the more of like a repertoire in the NFL receiver, he has that a little bit more than London in terms of winning on what routes the NFL throws the most. Uh, you know, so you see like a lot of in breaker slant, stuff like that. Like that's what you're going to see from Traylon Burks. Um, my, like I said, my, my like pie in the sky thing is like he could be a Terrell Owens type player, like in his apex range of outcomes. Yeah. And like, as you hit on like the, the 40 time, I, I'm not sure there's a position I care about the 40 less than wide receiver. Uh, and, and that's they're going to be the funny as uh, we, uh, as I talk about someone who I really like uh, in this class, but um, you know, I, I think you can just, you kind of, it's how do you use the game speed? Right. Like, and again, like Keenan Allen, and he's like always the guy you you, you prop up when you're, you're talking about a guy who doesn't run Anquan fast. 40. Bolden. It used to be right. Jerry Rice, now it's like Anquan Bolden. <laughs> Devontae right. Adams now. But like <laughs> Keenan Allen, one of my favorite receivers in the league, like since he came in. Um, and like he he doesn't run fast in, in a straight line, but the way he uses his body, um, the way he can run routes, like that that matters. And I think, you know, Traylon Burks has that. And like a 455 is not slow, right? We're, we're I think people, I think, there was some hype around Burks that he could like have a faster 40 that he would be running in like the low four fours. Um, so I think the four five, five and like, I was that I was at the combine, like with, with some other people, like when that time came in, like it was a little disappointing. Um, but at his size, that's still like really good. And you like watch how he uses that speed. Um, and like, he can still do like this start and stop. He had that, uh, play was against Alabama, right. Is it down the sideline? Um, Yes, the, the sideline catch, he stops and makes the guy miss and then turns, runs after the catch. Um, and like, y- you can see that he just has that ability. So um, like that, that's, I think how we like need to, you know, frame that also, like you said, you can just move him all around. Uh, he, he has that big, bigger body. So you can use him on the, on the bigger stuff, but I think he does still have that speed where he can use like that, those yards after the catch also. Um and he's the one guy I think that that will be more translatable the way he was used near the line of scrimmage than a guy like how London was forced to be used near the line of scrimmage uh, at USC. I think I don't think London will carry as much like wide receiver screen stuff over into the NFL as Burks will. Yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about Drake London, um, because uh, as you said in, in your like actual bottle um he came out as as the wide receiver one you have him like in your your rankings as as a wide receiver two um or sorry the wide receiver two not a wide receiver two those are very different things uh when you're when you're talking about fantasy um so yeah he is someone who i think the the conversation around him is like really strange because like people look at him and see like the six 
three, like six, four, he's like 220 pounds. And like, they, they think he's like this guy who can't run. Um, and I think you, you hear about like the, the, the separation issues and like, you just watch him. And I, I don't think that there are separation issues. I think the separation issues are because the USC quarterbacks were not good. Right. And, and I think like you see some of that, I, I tweeted a play, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago at this point, like against Notre Dame, um, he is, he's running down the field, like by himself, he gets behind the corner and the throw is like five yards behind where it should be. London has to come back because he's good at it. Um, and it makes uh, what turns into like a contested catch, but it's because the throw was bad. Like if there was a better quarterback and that throws in front of him, like he's running wide open uh, for a touchdown. So I think a lot of those issues like come from the offense and we kind of have to see that. Um, so I think like a lot of the issues that you might see with London where, where you're not sure if it translates to the nfl like i i I just don't see them i think he's like really good yeah he's kind of a he takes a little bit of projection just the way he was used and you know i kind of linked an article that Dwayne mcfarland from pro football focus wrote as well and like he just didn't really run a lot of routes that are like popular nfl routes like the most targeted routes and he wasn't particularly good on the sample that he did uh, I mean, he was like you said, I was like, it was basically like all, all of his stuff is just like screen peppered near line of scrimmage or like kind of like double move, like stuff like that. But uh, that, that takes a little return, but he's only 20 years. He's 20 years old. This final year it was only 20 years old this past year. And he was coming off that ankle injury. So I don't think he would have like been like a guy that tested like super well anyways. And like people probably would have double counted that as well. Um, but yeah, I think when you just factor in like his size, uh, being able to play like, you know, outside, inside, um just like the ceiling again it's like i look at those two guys and like they offer like kind of like that like everything if everything were to hit they have all these trump cards where if you get into uh the the leaner guys which is what we're seeing the nfl and the versatility guys we get into the garrett wilson's the alaves james williams uh even george pickens you know a guy that's not like a hugely built guy even though being one of the bigger receivers in this class the Jahan dotson's uh, these two guys at the top, I think like embody like kind of like that throwback, like they can be like that alpha, like X type of guy at their ceiling. But then they offer all this kind of like small man game too, that uh, you typically don't see guys that are built like this offer. And I don't know how much it will translate. I think Burks will translate a lot more in London. He was a lot better after the catch, um, you know, cause you look at like London, even having all this screens, like his, the percentage of yards that he created after the catch, 44% of yards after the catch, and he was 25th in yak per reception. So it's like there are some missed tackle stuff that looks good. But when you add it all together, it was like created induced by volume where, where Burks is a little better per play. Uh, so I don't know how much London will carry over. But I do like that both these guys are starting off with like not the prototypical game you would see like guys built like this in the past. Right. Uh, you know, Burks gets comped like Demarius Thomas a lot, which was uh, was kind of weird, but uh, I never really liked. But you know, that's what you, that's what you see from these guys because they're not the, your prototypical two hundred thirty pound guys that are just like go run go routes and make contested catches. Yeah, and I think the the thing with London that I, that I saw a lot when I was watching it was like he'll turn what should probably have been like a six yard loss into like a three yard gain, and like that doesn't look very good when we're looking at this the stats and like his actual receiving yards but um but like the actual like degree of difficulty there um is he and like i i think i'm not sure there was like a, a higher degree of difficulty in what they needed to pull off like then london um when he had to 
he had to be manufactured in these touches and not because of him, right? It was because of that offense. Um, they just yeah. they had nothing else there. They had no other receivers to throw to. I think when when you look at um like what his target share was and like targets per route run, um they used target on 42% of his routes, which is like absolutely oh, which bonkers. is insane. And he had like a <laughs> had a, a 25% target share and and missed like the the last quarter of the season um so that's that's how highly uh, he was targeted in that offense and how much they needed to rely on him um so i think like you you will see what he can do and like it and some of the contested stuff like too it was he had like one of the highest um the most targets of like back shoulder throws but that's because he was like really good at him like just like that body control right there's so much like start and stop there that i think he just like controls everything he does really well which again does not need like top end speed to be able to pull that off um which is why like i i also really like him as a prospect yeah i think his his player prop to be the first wide receiver drafted is pretty enticing where it's at uh, I think he very well could be the top guy. I know Garrett Wilson is the most frequently mocked guy, but I do like to get a little bit of, I like to throw a little couple pennies down on London being the first wide receiver taken. Okay. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And we're going to, we're going to skip around in your rankings a little bit because we are going to hit my rankings. Someone I have uh, put maybe a, a little bit on as, as the first wide receiver taken someone who uh, Peter Schrager uh, of uh, NFL network uh, just put as the, first receiver taken in his first mock draft that is jameson williams um, i mean if he didn't tear his acl i could have seen it happening but i don't think he'll be he'll jump those guys yeah okay i love jameson williams he is so good and i like just kind of have confidence that he's going to return from an acl like i, I just and now, i don't want to say an acl is not a big deal uh because obviously it is uh but it's the timing, I think, of the ACL. That's that's the yeah. other thing, yeah. But uh, I think he <laughs> at the Alabama Pro Day, he said he, he could potentially, you know, be ready for training camp, which would be, um, you know, a very quick recovery. Uh, but if he's only missing maybe like a couple of games, I think what he gives you in the long run is mm-hmm. is is worth it. Um, and I think like we'll we'll talk about his speed, right? Because he's so fast and. I, I, hit that like the 40 time doesn't really matter um and then i'm going to gush all over this speed guy right but um it, it's so much more than just speed like he's he's one of the best route runners in this draft um and and i think like that gets overlooked because he's the fast guy who can run past everybody but the way he sets up um that speed and i think is is such an overlooked part of his game and what makes him so good uh i think when you look at um you know I think it was a play against Georgia, one of the the long touchdowns. Uh, he sets it up by like slowing down, pulls the angle from the safety, and he's one of these guys that has like I like geometry changing speed, right? Where like a, a safety or a corner like thinks they have an angle on what they need to do, and and Williams just can can change it just because of, of how fast he is. Um, and when you look at he had last year third um, in intermediate yards uh, in college football uh, and fourth in in deep yards and those are intermediate eleven to nineteen air yards deep is uh, twenty plus uh, only thirty five percent of his routes uh, were were deep last year so he's killing on the routes he goes deep but he's not just the deep guy so I think he wins all over the field. Um, and, and just like so much of what he does, I think like really translates. Uh, I, I've seen some um, 
you know, concerns about whether like he can beat man uh, coverage, but he had an 80% success rate uh, against man coverage uh, last year. That's uh, per sports info solutions. Um, I just, I like, the way he profiles, like it, I don't think it takes a lot of projection to see how he translates into like a really, really good wide receiver. Yeah, I think he would have had a really good chance to push for being the first wide receiver taken if it wasn't kind of like the the injury and maybe like what are you going to get out of his rookie year or like what's the timetable? Because uh, typically, you know, ACLs are a nine month injury now, and he tore his ACL in the in the national title game. So, I mean, a teams might put that into account, but like you said, you shouldn't stock it too much because of your rookie contract, right? You're going to have him. It's not necessarily like you don't need this guy to be good weeks one through six, especially in the number of teams that are probably going to be picking in that area. Anyways, it shouldn't be like a huge deal. Uh, he's someone I expect to fully kind of like come on at the end of the rookie season. Cause like you said, he was systematically, he was used as like that lid lifter, but he can do a lot more. I think we saw this with Waddle too and how it translated to his rookie season. Um, that we'll see him kind of be more of like a, a full field wide receiver. But yeah, if he would have been able to run, I think he would have probably run really fast because uh, everyone was running really fast at, at that combine. Uh, <laughs> and it would have really helped us cause a lot in terms of the draft capital. But I just think the injury will probably have him be a, a gift to some team that takes him. I mean, I think he'll be a gift where he goes. Um, unfortunately, I don't think he'll fall to like where the hopefuls uh, that have traded some of these elite wide receivers, like the Green Bays and Kansas City saying like, well, maybe we can get James. I don't think he'll be there. Um, but I think that uh, definitely he's going to be discounted for where he would have been if he wouldn't have suffered that injury at the timing that he did. But the, unfortunately, he did suffer the injury. It does happen. It still is on his resume. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's one of the things where like I, I didn't really – follow college football in real time um so like i wasn't like super aware of like what jameson williams was so like obviously like watching the national championship game like it i knew it was bad that he you know tore his acl but then like getting into like watching him and and seeing the draft stuff like i i felt the injury again like knowing how much i liked him uh, <laughs> and i was like oh no this is the guy who tore his acl during the, the national championship game um so like i i had like this second wave of like feeling the hurt from that injury uh, of knowing like what the potentially like it could have been but and like it uh, if you're projecting like a, a full recovery again, man, I just like, he's so good. And I guess like at 180 pounds uh, is like a little light, but like you said, like we're kind of seeing some of, mm-hmm. uh, some of that happen just kind of league wide. Um, and, and I think he can, he can play through um, some physicality. Like he's not going to be a blocker. Like he's, he's not going to be like, he's not Robert Woods. Right. It, and like, I don't think if you're drafting Jameson Williams, you're going to be asking him to play that role. Um, but I think like for what he needs to do, and I, he's just, he's so good. Um, I, just the smooth route running, the, the way he comes in and out of breaks, the way he can set up that speed. Uh, I, I just think he's, he's a threat at every level of the field. Um, and I think like more than any other receiver in this class, like I'm not sure you can say that, you know, so much. Uh, and, and I think Wilson is just kind of like, uh, he just kind of stands above at least, at least to me. Um, so like he, he's going to be my like wide receiver. I, I don't really rank these guys um, because like, I, I, I just don't need to, just I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need him. that in my life, but uh, Jameson Williams <laughs> is going to be like my favorite receiver and wide receiver one in this class. So. And I have, I have no problem with that. To be honest, like I said, I, I have him there from like a, obviously the, the model discounts him too because he has just a one-year production but we've seen like that's been like a uh, something that's been common like through Alabama uh all these guys kind of get kind of uh 
dinged in the, in the model uh, a little bit just because of the comp the competition they play along with and this the, the the amount they have to wait to contribute in the NFL. And it also happened to Jameis Williams. He was stuck behind the two other Ohio State guys in it before he transferred. So, I mean, Ohio State had all three of these, three of the top five receivers uh, were on their team. And uh, so we'll get into this because now we'll, we'll talk about the two Ohio State guys. Those three are not the best wide receivers like on the team. There's a guy who's better. Um who would be wide receiver one uh, if if he was out, but he's only a sophomore. And uh, so that is uh, Jackson Smith uh, in Jimba, in Jigba. Yeah, I pronounced that right. Um, so you have lots of time to practice that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, for the, the whole year, but like he's he's going to be the first wide receiver. I mean, we can say that now, but like he should be next year. Um, so I think he would be the first wide receiver taken in this class uh, if he was eligible but we'll, we'll get there so Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are very interesting because they are also like I think they are really like the epitome of like what are you looking for mm-hmm. in a wide receiver and I think that's how you feel about Wilson and Olave how you rank them how you you know feel about their their pro prospects because they are very different receivers right they're they're both fast um which I think we we quantified at the combine uh again like i said like the the olave was coming in at like a four two six or whatever but but that was you know shown to be a little slower um on the official times but when you look at olave and i think uh let's see you were you have uh wilson three olave four and those uh come out the same uh as as your models so um let's get into like what do you uh, like about Wilson and Olave, what what separates them for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty. Anytime you have like a situation like this where it's two players on the same team and they they come out so closely graded, uh, it's easy just for me to kind of like edge towards Wilson because he was a little bit younger and outproduced Olave on the same on the same on the same field. So it's just like one of those I'm going to side with that player and give him the edge. Alave is the guy I think we talked about like projecting like ceilings versus floor. Alave is the guy I think that we talked about all the players we've touched on so so far. I think he has the highest floor of all the guys that we've talked about. But uh I think in the apex outcome for all these players like he's probably the lowest of all those guys as well. So he's a guy I think that fits just about like anywhere he goes. Like he fits more more schemes and systems than than probably all these other guys. But you're probably getting just a really good player out of him, which is completely fine. Uh, whereas Wilson is a guy that has a little more yak ability. Like I said, he already played with Chris Lave and was better than him in terms of production. So I mean, I don't see like why we need to get cute really that much in the weeds. Like we've done this with so many guys over years past, where we get in the draft mix are like. It's this other guy. This other guy has this trait. This like this stuff doesn't play out that way. Like like I said, I, I I assure you the models account for this stuff. And like you like you see this with Kenneth Walker all the time talking about his receiving numbers. And it's like yeah, the Michigan State didn't throw to the running backs. I assure you that the model has accounted for a number of guys in the same bucket that their system did not throw to the running backs in terms of predictability. Uh, so I'm not I'm not really just going to go that far into it. I just have Wilson higher. He's basically another when we factor in draft capital in the model too as well. He's basically a guy that's probably going to significantly separate as well because that's not in the model yet, which is uh, another indicator in terms of bonus points here. Because uh, he's basically in in terms of like grinding the mocks like universally predicted to get drafted ahead of Olave as well. So 
that's kind of just the separator between the two, but I, that's not a knock on Olave. I think he's a very good player. I just think when you're talking like from a ceiling perspective, he's a guy that's, I think, just like more of like a, a, a safe straight line pick here. Yeah, that's kind of where my disconnect is. And again, like I'm not... I'm not like straight up ranking these guys, but it's kind of like in, in the quarterback conversation we had. And again, like these guys are, are better like in skill and, and in relation to like NFL prospects than, than the quarterback classes. But like, I don't know if like, I know exactly what I'm getting in Olave. And while I was watching him, I was like, I know exactly what role I want him to play. Um, and get him on on some crossers, like get him in, in the red zone. Um, I think he, uh, had uh, was was fifth in in end zone targets last year um uh in college football and like you can see like the exact role he plays but like, i don't know if i would pick him where i would have to in order to to draft him right because there's just like there are so many questions like you said probably you know the highest four um but when you're just like looking at the, the yards after the catch thing like really bothers me and the man like, coverage I, stuff. It's man yeah. coverage and yak that's the, such a separator between him and Wilson. Like, I I, I really want to know why, like, Chris Olave, who is so fast, is Zach Ertz after the catch. <laughs> like, there's something in my head that, like, that just doesn't make any sense. And, like, that, but that's what it is. Like, he's he's not playing through contact. He can't break a tackle. Um, and I'm, I'm saying, like, can't, but, like, just has not. Um, and you would, like, on accident, you would think there would be like a 60 yard run after the catch, right? If you're like that fast and, and in that offense. Um, and, and there just wasn't that it just wasn't there. So I think he's, he's so smooth as a route runner. It's like, it's so easy to see why people like him. Um, I just kind of have like the, I, I just w- like want more like that. The skill set he has before the catch should translate better after the catch than it does. And like it, uh, it, it just confuses me why it doesn't. So I like am continually perplexed by Chris Olave and like how that projects to, to the next level. Yeah. I mean, in this draft class of all the players that were in- invited to the combine, which is was 40 wide receivers. He was 36th in this class in yards created after the catch. And then he was 35th in yards per out running against man coverage. So like those to me are kind of more like, uh, like when I, when we're talking about like taking a ceiling player, right. In the first round, I want my wide receiver. I want him to have that range of outcomes. Like, sure. I might miss, but like, I still wanted to, to be able to turn into one of these guys that ends up being one of those 25 million annually guys uh, on the books. And I don't know if he's that type of guy. I just don't know if he had, if he has that in his range of outcomes. Yeah, it's wild. So like if if you look at where he was, you know, targeted on, on short passes, so one to ten yards past the line of scrimmage, um, in, in his the final college season, thirty nine targets, at twenty nine receptions, two hundred thirty three yards, one hundred sixty seven of those yards were air yards, right? Only sixty six yards after the catch. And like if you're not creating in in that short area, and I get like he was you know more on the sideline than than some of the other guys, um, but like like accidentally you you think he like breaks a tackle and and can run um three combined missed and broken tackles uh last year three the the entire season like we were just talking about drake london like he would have three on one play Um, (laughs) (laughs) um so it's just uh it's it's weird. So like, he's just like a, a player, like you, you see how smooth he is. Uh, I know exactly what I would do with him if I, I got him, but like using a, a mid first round pick on him, uh, I'm just, I'm not sure. Um, 
but but Wilson, yeah, yeah, I think you look at like some of that that quick twitch he has. I think he's like he is like a, a jerky route runner where I think we can use like having so much body movement like and say that's like good route running and sometimes it's not so much because it like can throw some timing off because it takes like a lot of time to set up some of those things but i think that's probably something that can you know get worked out uh, a little bit i mean what, what is interesting is just because you know so every year i put together this metric uh called uh, target yards added and it's basically just looking at uh, wide receivers yards per target compared to what the quarterback does throwing to any other wide receiver um, or any other player really uh, in the offense. So it kind of like is exactly what the name implies. I was not very creative when I, I thought of the name, like what is, what is this receiver adding when he is targeted in the offense? Um, and both of these guys come out pretty low. Um, you, you look at uh, Wilson, he's uh, just, uh, I'm looking at uh, these rankings here. He comes out uh, 32nd um, in this class, like under a half a yard. And, and that is low. Like the, the average in this class right now is like over a yard and a half. Um, and then you look at Chris Olave, he is, he's negative. Um, and there are just not really good wide receiver prospects who come out who are, are giving less um, than like the baseline receiver um, in an offense. So uh, that that's kind of my concern. And again, like we kind of talked about it, it's, it's a little difficult because there were so many good wide receivers and there was a better wide receiver in that offense who was not draft eligible. Uh, and I did like his uh, calculations. If, uh, if uh, Smith and Jimba came out this year, like he would be wide receiver one uh, in this metric. So like, that's, that's tough. But again, like it's, it's maybe like, when you look at like what Ohio state has been in, in the past. Right. And I think like Jameson Williams is kind of in this conversation too. Like at Ohio state, there were times where uh, Terry McLaurin had like a 10% target share. Um, and he was not like the featured guy, but he also like came out way ahead of the other two guys who were uh, Paris Campbell and KJ Hill um, in target yards added. So like there, there's a give and take there, but because there was like this one wide receiver who was so much better, it kind of hurts both of these guys in this metric, but for Olave to come out negative also kind of, um, I think I have like 70 receivers who have had negative, um, over like the past, uh, like six years. And like the best one is Hunter Renfro. And like, he's the only guy that has like any kind of production. I think the second best guy is like Ty Montgomery and like he became a running back. So that that's kind of my hang up with some of these guys too. When you look at like the context of their offense, um, you know, they, they weren't adding as much as you would think like a, a top tier wide receiver prospect would. Yeah. One of the most predictive uh, statistics that we actually have for collegiate wide receivers in terms of NFL production is yards per team pass attempt. And both of these guys don't really show up that highly in there. That's why I also have Burks and London ahead of those two guys. Like if I was, choosing you know for the range of outcomes like i said i have those two guys higher and you look at like jameson williams who played with like a john mechie still like he's smoking those guys like in that in that category as well where he's seventh in this class even playing alongside another good player quality player and then like burks and london are just like yards ahead of those two players um so yeah i mean that that's just kind of the the same boat i'm in uh I have, like I said, split split between the two. Wilson, I think, offers more upside than Alave, but I also believe that Wilson being the wide receiver one is kind of a stretch as well for me. Like I, I can't get there all the way for him. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, that's kind of where, where we're falling on, on these guys. So let's uh, not bad players though. Not, not to again, say like, if your team picks yeah. one of these guys, like, Oh, be mad about it. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the other thing, right? It's not, it, this isn't the quarterback class where we were like, right. these guys just aren't good. Um, I, I think it's just, you know, you're looking at context, the context. How are you using these guys? And like, there is, there's certainly a place like if Chris Olave goes to green Bay, right. I, that makes it so much sense. Like I, I can see them using him like perfectly. Mm-hmm. So like there are roles for all of these guys. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a completely different conversation than what we were having at, at the, the other position. So let's, uh, let's speed through some of like these other guys. Is there anyone else um, in like the, maybe like the, the top 10 you think like really stands out that, that you're the kind of in on? I mean, I'm in on, for, for the most part, in on, like, most of these guys. Like we said, it's not the quarterback class. Um, I don't know if there's anybody you want to touch on that's, like, maybe some of the guy like, like, Sky Moore is getting a ton of steam right now. Uh, I don't know how much Sky Moore you've watched and, like, dug into, uh, but he's getting, like, he's the guy that's, like, really kind of, like, rising, right? And, I, and we saw this happen last year, and maybe it doesn't stick. Like, uh, Diami Brown was a guy that got steamed a bunch. Terrace Marshall is steamed a bunch. Like those guys end up not going as highly Terrace Marshall for some, for different reasons. Cause the medicals, uh, but like Diami Brown never quite got as high as like it, the perception was coming in. I don't know if we'll see that with Sky Moore. I don't know if he'll sneak into the first round. I would say the first round would probably be a little bit of a reach for him as well, just because of what his archetype he is and projects to be in the NFL. And maybe we can debate about that too. But, uh, I do think he's going to be probably a, a top 50 pick though, for sure. Yeah, Scamore is really interesting because, like, if I go back to like uh, target yards added, he, he like didn't add a lot to the offense uh, in, in terms of like what was happening in the offense, just because like that offense was like so highly powered, right? Like there was yeah. there was so much going on. Um, but like when you look at like yards per route run, targets per route run, target share, like he comes out like uh, among the top of the class in in all of that. But when you like do the context of the offense, um, that's really it, it didn't doesn't stand out quite as much, but there's a I mean there is a lot to like with, with Sky Moore, even though he's like only you know the five ten um like under two hundred pounds. Like his first step is so good. Um he had 433 yards on slants on slants alone yeah. on slants alone <laughs> that led college football number two was at 244 so like almost double the amount of yards on, on slants so like you can see where he wins and again like 510 but he had 198 routes uh, as an isolated receiver um last year which was the fourth uh, and then I think you look at his, his hand size. I think he had like the biggest hands at, at the yeah, combine. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> they're like a double Kenny Pickett's hands. Um, they were, they were uh, <laughs> like, so like 10 and a quarter inches. So like, it, it, there's a lot to like there. Um, I think he had, he was eighth in uh, yards on intermediate passes last year. So uh, yeah, you look at someone like that, like you can, there is definitely a place um, for him in the offense. Like he, uh, he's obviously not going to like sneak in the first round, which I think um you know, had maybe some buzz uh, a little bit, but like, he's going to be a guy where you take him on day two, you kind of know exactly where he fits as soon as you put him in an offense. Yeah. I, 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 my only thing is like, we just really have like no sample of him playing against good players. Uh, And, you know, this is a thing with his teammate, Dwayne Eskridge last year too, as well. He was like, Dwayne Eskridge was such a better athlete than every like player that they played. 
yep. on the field with. And, you know, it ended up getting him overdrafted. And I think Sky Moore is a way more polished receiver than Dwayne Eskridge uh, in terms of just where he can win at the line of scrimmage. But I do think that, you know, we're going to see him basically win on the interior in the NFL and probably not as much on the outside. And, you know, that that might be like more of a little ceiling cap. That's why he'd be more of like a, a top round two guy for me. Um, and you know, like there's a, you know, a, but like George Pickens is a guy that maybe doesn't have as good as a resume and has a little more red flags than Sky Moore, but his ceiling may offer a little bit more because of where he can win for a team. So it just depends on where your scheme fits and like kind of what you need. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Sky Moore, uh, is one of these guys that will just have like a really like ultra high floor in terms of just winning on the interior in the, in the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could absolutely see that. So, um, you know, there's there's some other you know interesting guys here. I think uh, Jahan Dotson's interesting because that that quarterback play at Penn State was so oh, yeah. was so bad. Um, He's so a huge range of outcomes guy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like you you see uh, like a lot of what you know could happen there, um, mm-hmm. and you see like why you should like him and, and why there are you know good things, but just like the, the production obviously is there just like because that. Man, that quarterback boy was so bad. Like that was my first note. Like writing him down. Um, like uh, for all of these other guys who are like writing about the traits, then just Penn State is just like, wow, the quarterback could not do anything. Um, so uh, I, I really like like he can find space well. Yeah, I think he has like really good body control. You can see like and he is you know one of those other kind of like shorter guys and short shorter slender. Um, but I think like you can find you know that type of role. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anyone who stands out like we do the like the the inaugural um not inaugural but more more like annual um like the the Quez Watkins uh, <laughs> awards do we, do, uh, do we do we have one of those guys uh, in this class I mean there's a couple uh you know Gabe Davis was that guy a couple years ago for us too and you know that's looking all right uh but no, uh, Jalen Tolbert I think is interesting yep, but like okay. I, I don't know where he'll be drafted like he's a guy that could go anywhere from like the third round to like the sixth, right? Like those are the types of guys that we have fun with, right? Like the, you know, Quez Watkins who, you know, had a little bit of an opportunity last year. Uh, We'll say that it wasn't completely his fault, but he couldn't seize it. But uh, yeah, Tolbert kind of reminds me, he gives me like those Gabe Davis vibes though. He's not like a prolific athlete, but you know, where he wins is translatable. Like the things he's good at are are where like you know are are successful to the role he'll play in the nfl and he's a guy that just wins downfield he wins in one-on-one coverage Uh, a little bit older went to like a a smaller school at south alabama um uh in khalil shakur from uh boise yes okay there we go rich we are always on the same page here (laughs) yeah uh he's another guy i have no idea where he'll go like he could probably he could maybe go like in the third round or like maybe like round five or six but he's another one of those guys like i said if you like sky more and i like sky more a lot i think he's fine like where I believe he's going to win and be successful in the NFL, I think Khalil Shakur offers a lot of that as well, uh, you know, especially on the interior. So, I mean, you might get a little bit of like a poor man's arbitrage there. Um, he doesn't have the 10 in chance though, unfortunately. No, but man, he's, he's so, he's so fun to watch. Um, and he, he's a little bigger, uh, six foot, like almost yeah. 200 pounds, like 196. Um, he's a really good route runner. This short area quickness is there. Um, he was 18th in, in yards on, you know, passes that were one to 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. Um, but, and, and not like what you would expect from a six foot guy, but a red zone threat, he was 17th in red zone or sorry, tied for 12th in red zone targets. He had 17, um, 
like he, he was the guy that Boise State went to um, in that area. And I think like against Nevada, he had like a, a crazy like one-handed uh, touchdown catch uh, in, in the red zone, like on a fade. Um, man, he's just, he's really good. So yeah, he's, he's going to be like my guy um, in that area. Uh, Tolbert, um, you said we look at, um, you know, target yards added. Uh, you look at what he did. He had 10.93 yards per target. Um, but when uh, South Alabama went to anyone else, 5.88 yards per attempt, right? So uh, he's like, that offense averaged like five more yards uh, per attempt when they threw at Jalen Tolbert last year. And like, that's kind of like what you want to see in those like small school type guys. Like you want to see him either like be significantly the best guy on the field of both like in the offense and against the defense. And Tolbert was that. Um, so he's, he's definitely a guy uh, that, that should be, he's, he's third in target yards added for, for this entire class. And, and one other guy I like um, is, is Trey Turner. Um, you know, he kind of had like, has that deep speed again, like it was hurt a little bit by quarterback play. Um, I, I think he has uh, like when, when the ball did get to him, uh, like 17.1 yards per reception. So like they, they weren't throwing a lot. Um, but when I think he has the ability to like, maybe be, um, you know, one of those, he's, he's one of those like long slender guys, six, one, like one eighty four. Um, but I, I think he's one of those guys who could be like that, that deep threat that you maybe get on like day three, um, in maybe that, that Quez Watkins, uh, type role. So, um, there are a lot of fun guys. Like there, there's again, like no one that we like don't like, um, I guess. He yeah, is there anyone that you think is like over overrated? I mean, if we like go back to like Olave, uh, I, I mean, obviously, like you by the the conversation we had, like I'm not sure I would have drafted him like around like where he's going to be drafted. But like other than that, like I, I really don't see a problem with with a lot of these guys. Like, man. Eh. Alec Pierce is that guy for me. He's the guy that like people seem to like. I can't get there on. Yeah, I I, I like him. Uh, he's he's going to come out well in 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 target yards added. Um, I think he's he like he's he's smooth. Uh, again, he's, he's someone who's better on like a per play basis than like what he did. Like obviously, he's not a lot of not highly targeted. Um, he doesn't come out well in like targets per route run or, or target share, uh, which probably. It probably dings him in in your model, I would think. But um, when they he's the player, him, I think when people talk about London, they're talking about Alex Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sure. I I, I could see that. Um, you know, Justin Ross is an interesting one. Like if yeah, I were yeah. drafting, just I probably wouldn't touch him just because um, of of what I happened. I think he's probably hurt himself pretty yeah. much at this point. He's probably gonna be a day three guy. Yeah, so that's tough. But like, uh, other than that, like, I, um, you know, maybe like, you know, John Mechie is a guy, uh, another guy who comes out as negative in target yards added, but put up like a eleven hundred yards in that Alabama offense. Um, I just don't the way his game translates. I, I don't really see it. Um, so if he's going to be like a day two guy, I would. There's so many other people i would i would probably rather take there um but like again um, probably the most Steelers wide receiver ever if there was one yeah yeah probably um (laughs) but like i'm I'm not going to like have uh, a super strong uh opinion there but he said like it's it's so much of 
like whatever you like in this class, you're going to find it. Um, and like, there are going to be people who, who did not agree with some of our, our assessments here. Oh, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. Do, do like, uh, you know, some of these other guys. And I think there are going to be teams who like their draft boards are going to be probably potentially like wildly different just because of what they need a wide receiver to do. But I think that's what makes this class really fun. Yeah, I mean, you have guys like Wandell Robinson, who's like kind of all over the place. You got speed guys and like Tyquan Thornton, Calvin Austin, like Danny Gray. Like if you need those types of guys, uh, there's a it, it runs deep here. Like it, we're, this wide receiver class goes like in into the twenties of like you can find a, a path to success for this player in, in a specific spot in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard to to strike out on on this class if you're you're drafting one, which. Yeah, is is good news for for teams that that need wide receivers because I think everybody could could use wide receiver depth uh, at this point. So yeah, there, 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 there are a few teams up. that don't. <laughs> yeah, all these teams were writing up. Uh, you know, there was blow pushback on the me suggesting the Ravens still need wide receivers, but uh, hey, uh, you know, you've got Marquise Brown's another one of these guys, right? They have to pick up his fifth year option. Like, what kind of contract are you going to give him? Uh, you know. Yeah, we're in the boat. We're in that boat now to see like where, what kind of salaries do like these fringe guys get? Yeah, yeah. That I think that'll that'll be like the interesting thing where where you see some of those, um, yeah, the, the guys in in that tier. Um, so yeah, there we go. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be back. We'll we'll continue talking about wide receivers. We still have too long until the draft um which it kind of seems like we've just you know officially started talking about it on this podcast but we've been you know uh prepping for it for for a while so it's it's coming uh we will you know continue uh talking about this um you can find all our our team needs our write-ups are coming through we're about halfway through um we'll be a little more than halfway through uh by the time you hear this um uh, again we'll we'll continue writing this stuff up we'll be back uh next week probably still talking draft because that's we're we're head on uh heading for that right now so you can find rich on twitter at lord reeves you can find me on twitter at Tampazuda. thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon